Hi everyone, I'm your host, Lisa Fazio, and this is Wild Under Root, a podcast about plants, place, and magic. Even if lightning strikes, or if thunder splits the sky, if the mountains fall and rivers overflow, you can never stop a seed from Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wild Under Root podcast. And this is episode five, and I'm here with my friend, Adriana Magana, and she is a drummer, and we're going to play um, some music from the, her latest album at the end, and maybe I might even add a little piece at the beginning. And she is a permaculture designer. She and her partner have the Center for Bioregional Living in Ellenville, New York. She is also a visionary and opinion haver, a lifelong student of the natural world. And she makes her life in the Hudson Valley, as I mentioned, in Ellenville with her partner, her daughter, and many plants and animals I know there's goats and chickens and dogs and other creatures, cats, frogs, guinea pigs. (laughs) And a baby mouse that Juniper rescued. Uh (laughs) Aha. It's always interesting to rescue a mouse. I know. I was like, (laughs) like, oh, next thing you know, you're going to have a hundred. Um, she also lives with the waters, the microbes, and the fungi, and so welcome, Adriana. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So we met, um, I just think this is so, so fun. We met at an herbal class down in Brooklyn, and Matthew Wood was teaching a long time ago. I don't even know how long ago it was. Yeah, it was probably like I don't know, six years ago now? Oh, more Seven than years that. ago? Seven? I'm, I was thinking like 10, but... Seven? No, Juniper is going to be 11. Yeah, so she was only a couple of years old, I think, when I met Yeah. So... Yeah, um, it could have been. It could have been because we probably all came down as a family. I don't know. It's all running together now. <laughs> <laughs> it is. What, I don't even know what day it is. Um... So, yeah, and so we met, and it was just like an instant, one of those instant, like, yeah. like, hi. <laughs> Where have you been all my life? <laughs> Hello, kindred spirit. Yeah. We shall and go so, forward and be friends. Yeah. So then we just, so then we've, through the years, just, um, well, you guys came up here and taught, and I've come down there and taught, and so... We just continued to be in the ongoing conversation of permaculture and community and um, growing things and, and living in this world in the best way possible, Um, living and dying well in a world where the planet is ravaged. I was recently talking with uh, another friend about um, 
the book by Anna Singh. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book called um, Living on a Damaged Planet. I have heard of that. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm saying the title right, and I'll put that. Yeah. I. Um, and then followed up by Donna Haraway's book, Staying with the Trouble. Mm -hmm. And which I really, you know, I really resonated with because she's talking about, you know, not this, you know, utopian future, um, not, you know, we're all going to get off, you know, something magical is going to happen or something's going to change or, or even, you know, the apocalypse is, is going to happen and clear everything out and everything's going to be great again or whatever. It's really about yeah. staying in the trouble, like staying with what we have to do to be able to live well. And I think when, when I discovered permaculture, so I had for myself, it was like, uh, as an herbalist, it was like, what is a health, you know, what, what is a healthy human? What is a healthy human community? Do we even know? Yeah. Because have we, have we seen it before? We haven't, most modern people haven't. And, yeah. and we only can sort of, theorize about what that would even look like. But when I found permaculture, it was like, oh, but there is a way. Yeah. So do you want to just share a little bit about how you got into permaculture and- Sure. Yeah. So my first exposure to permaculture was actually in the squats on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Um, I was at 7th Street Squat, a squat that I then came to live at for a certain period of time. And somebody had just come, I was at Friends, so I'd just come off tour with my band. I'd quit my band, Crash Worship, and um, decided that I was gonna move, you know, to New York City with my boyfriend. And, you know, he had been in the squatting scene for years. and. Um, we were at a friend's house and somebody from Dreamtime Village, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's an uh, intentional eco, you know, community, no, I don't eco think village um, outside of Madison, Wisconsin, which mm, no. a, a lot of my friends in the squatting community, uh, uh, there was a, like a, a clutch of them that had come from that area and from that village. And um and somebody, she just mentioned it. And for some reason, it was 1996, for some reason that it just resonated with me. And I, I was really into natural building and mm -hmm. straw bale and earth ships and all of that. And mm. this, she, and she didn't really even describe it very well, but there was something about it that really piqued my interest. And so I started searching out books and, you know, at that point in time, we, there was no internet really. And um, if, or if there was, I wasn't on it, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> 1996. Uh, yeah. Just starting, just yeah, starting. Just yeah. starting. So, um, so yeah, then I came to almost over 10 years later, you know, 19, uh, 2007 is when I studied. I bet yesterday I took the permaculture mm -hmm. course and mm -hmm. met Andrew mm -hmm. and um, we decided to make a life together and have a child and start our own scene here in Ellenville. Hmm. And, um, and yeah, that was really, it's a constant 
understanding is a constant evolving though, really. And I think like anybody who's leaving, living a self-examined life or anybody who's really enjoying being like a lifelong student of, of all of these different things there are to learn and experience in the world, you know, permaculture offers so much for that, you know. And I would say that in the time period from 2007 to where I am now, I have, you know, raised my daughter and have done all, all these different things. And sometimes it didn't seem so clear that I was a permaculture designer, you know, or mm-hmm. sometimes it didn't seem so clear that I was doing these things. I was kind of in this, but always, you know, still doing the things that we're doing around our house and following, you know, the idea of a design, what we wanted to see here. Um, but the principles, or, or rather the ethics of permaculture, earth care, people care, fair share, are always a guiding light, you know, right. always just like that makes sense, you know. And um, one of my friends who took the course with us, she said, I took this course because this is what I believe. I don't even understand what permaculture is necessarily, but this is, this is what I believe. I, I want to learn more about it. And um, yeah, so that's a, that's a, that's a real, because it is such a, a, a multi-layered and very um, diverse kind of ecosystem, um, understanding that there's this really foundational system of ethics that it's grounded in is, I think, very helpful. Hmm. So, go ahead. And it's what I used actually when I ran for public office. Well, that's, so, so should we, let's, let's, yeah, so let's just segue sh- to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back to permaculture again. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so, so you just recently this fall ran for Ulster County legislature. Ulster County legislature. Under yeah, the Dem- Democratic? Under the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, and I didn't win. The incumbent uh, has been in in office for many years and but that's not you know like I told people I expected to lose but I played to win yeah and um you know it's the it's the journey not the destination how many people did I meet you know how many people did I meet that are in office now I have a Mm. good working relationship with the DA with the sheriff um you know with all with tons of legislators um uh with the county executive these are people that I have access to and, and I have a, you know, just like a new network really. Yeah. So it's and like, with people around my community, I got to understand my, my area better. I went into areas that I'd never been in before. Mm. Um, it was just a win-win, you know? So I, and yeah. I really, I really like took it seriously. I, I worked really hard. I, I know, know you did. I, I know. Worked. I was so <laughs> impressed. I was like, man, she is kicking it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and some people who made it into office were so sad that I wasn't, that I didn't win, you know? Yeah. Well, you uh, still, I mean, you're going to, you think you'll try again? I could try again. Yeah. It's, you know, I, there's something really distasteful about politics. Yeah, for sure. You know, and like, sometimes you just want to be, you want to like yell on Facebook at somebody and like, yeah. you can't do that when you're a public figure, you know? Well, I guess I could create a burner account and just like get out yeah. of the fire that way. <laughs> <laughs> and people do. 
but and yeah. and like but when I think about it is that really useful but yeah, I don't know also, but, you end up down wormholes with but yeah you do but also there is this sense of censorship that I don't appreciate right, right. you know and like I feel like sometimes I can't say certain things about Trump that I would want to say you know right like let's be real right you know we're on somebody's list right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know. So, so one of the things I noticed you saying um, that I really appreciated that you posted on Facebook, you know, and that, that we could have a whole podcast on social media, but, you know, just to say that I do feel like it's um, certainly a, a mix of all sorts of things, but also it is the place where all the conversation is happening. And, yeah. and, you know, whether it's Facebook or Twitter seems to be, um, yeah, those are the big, those are the big places where I feel like it, it, to me, it is part of that, like idea of staying with the trouble is it, especially if you want to have a voice yeah. is, is that's where people are, especially right yeah. now, you know, that's where people are. And yeah, for all of the, but I did appreciate that you said, uh, you put some of your posts is that Facebook is a disinformation network. Yeah, it's it's a disinformation site. And so just like, understand that it's not like, don't use Facebook, although right. that is a solution, but it is no, no, um, you know, know the enemy, understand what you're getting into and understand. And that was in the, you know, with all of this um, disinformation, con conspiracy theories, and um, it's super important for people to understand that that is what they're selling. It's actually a product. It's a product and they're targeting, then in this, it's a very specific target and there's a whole psychology yeah. behind it. Yeah. And I think one of the things I feel like has happened through our enculturation our, our social conditioning and our public education is a lack of training in critical yeah. thinking. Definitely. And critical thinking as well as, and Michael Mead, who I love. Um, yeah. I'll make a link. Yeah, own. thank you for tuning me into him. You know, he talks a lot about how we have unsocialized ourselves in such a way that we can't even really tell when people are, we can't tell when people are lying. We can't tell when our politicians yeah. are lying. We yeah. can't tell, um, we can't read the body language. We can't see yeah. the facial expressions, the different things yeah. that people used to, when people were living more socially connected, yeah. people were able to, and when we had um, more intact cultural systems than we do now, which seems like they're just getting worse and worse. So yeah, so you ran for legislator and I feel like it was, a, you know, from the outside watching it, I felt like it was a success. I know here in, um, I live in Herkimer County, a lot, our last fall election, there was no, there, there was no opposing. Oh, see, so that's why I ran because there was going to be no opposing person for this Republican incumbent. And, um, you know, that just can't, that just can't be. <laughs> so people are saying, you know, go out and vote. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> or write somebody in, but protest vote. And I have, you know, but yeah. I mean, right. It's like, 
it doesn't inspire me. Whereas yeah. having, you know, somebody like a choice. Yeah. Um, and of course I'll just, you know, mention Christine Shaheen did. She also our mutual, yeah. mutual friend who was on podcast episode number two. Uh-huh. Um, she did run for county legislator here a few years ago on the Green Party ticket. Mm -hmm. So, so um, now just, just like switching back to permaculture. Well, a couple questions. I want to talk to you more about the ethics because sure. I, feel like, I feel like one of the ethics that I think gets the most talked about because people don't understand it and you probably know what I'm going to say is the, yeah. fair, is the, yeah, fair, <laughs> is share. the fair share. So I'm just curious. I've done a lot of reading about it and watched a lot of videos about it and took some classes on it. So just, it seems like everybody's kind of got a little bit of a different idea of what that is. Do you have? It's true. And yeah. some people even don't use that third principle or third uh, ethic. Sometimes it is um, limits to consumption, mm -hmm. you know, or, or with the caveat of fair share as well, you know, so it, but just strip down fair share does kind of limits to consumption. I would say in the best of fair share would be nested within that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if we're sharing fairly, we're probably also limiting our consumption. I don't know. But, um, but the idea that one of the, one of the principles of, of permaculture of which there are vast, um, David Holmgren, he put together in his book, uh, he put together a list of 12 principles. Mm -hmm. And those 12 principles are kind of like the backbone now. They make a lot of sense. They're probably what most people use. But there is also, if you look at Bill Mollison's uh, designer's manual, um, which is like the tome of permaculture, there's a lot of different things that he's talking about. And basically permaculture uh, principles are recognizing a pattern, you know, and kind of committing them to like a, a way of explaining it, some words, but the principle, um, the yields of a system are theoretically unlimited mm -hmm. is where that, then what do we do with all of that surplus? Right. Well, we're going to return it. Right. Mm -hmm. And what is that yield? That yield could be water captured. That yield could be, you know, of course, food grown, that yield could be social capital. I mean, now people in permaculture have, have expanded the idea of social permaculture because the hardest thing that we have to do here on planet Earth is just get along with each other, frankly. 100% agree with you. Frankly, um, like, how do we do that? And so there's a woman, Luby, Luby McNamara. Yes, yes, I know. She's, yeah, and she's like... She she's put, involved with the Women's Permaculture Guild. And yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. So... So permaculture is like this theory, you know, and it is also a practice. And so it, and it is all, always also, you know, unfolding, right? Unfolding. Yeah, definitely. And um, a lot of people get a lot of different things from it. There's prepper permaculturists, yeah. you know, which I could get in arguments that I'm like, I don't understand how that libertarian permaculture thing meshes with the Earth care, people care, fair share, but whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I don't either, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair share is like what we're, we need more fair share. We need people to pay their taxes, right? We need right. uh, half of the world's 
wealth is offshored in offshore accounts, that means it's not, people aren't mm. paying taxes on their wealth. Uh, we're not getting that infrastructure. We're not getting that investment back into the schools. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, my fair share, my example of fair share is with uh, wild harvesting. Yeah. And, and, and there's so many things to think about. One, just to, when I first started wildcrafting was because you get so excited. Yeah. When you're a new young herbalist or whatever that, and you see a patch of something and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to make, you know, and then you've got a gallon tincture that ends up getting, you know, what what am I going to do with this? You know, it's like my family. So, you know, then just coming up with principles of like, well, also who else is relying on this patch of elderberry say? Yeah. Like the birds, the, yeah, the spiders, the other people that might come here to (laughs) harvest. And then also, in a community of herbalists, being able to sustain the amount of herbalists that you have wild harvesting. Yeah. So, yeah. It so, is an important principle to, or, or ethic to like really consider for all, all different kinds of things. And what would you say? 5% of us, you know? Depends on, you know, honestly, depends on it depends. Much? It depends on the plant, you know, like, and what are we talking about? Are we talking about? Yeah, sure. About, mugwort. <laughs> right. You take know, it all. Take it all. Dandelion, purple loosestrife. Yeah. You know, some of those, you know, one of the things I do is try to find substitutes all the time. So for native plants, um, endangered native plants, nev- I never harvest them yeah. wild. Yeah. Even though here where I live, People are like, well, look at all of it. It's everywhere. And it's like, well, yeah, but you have to, you have to look at the bird's eye view that any little bit that you take, you know, and I don't think that means people shouldn't interact with native plants yeah, or even endangered plants. But I think one of the ways you can do that is to cultivate them and grow, and grow forest gardens. And yeah, so, you know, for non-endangered <laughs> you know, like goldenrod or bone set. Yeah. Um, el- how about elderberry? Cause that's one, it's like, it's not super prolific, but yeah. when you find it, there's usually a lot of it. You know, I would say no more than one third. Mm-hmm. And you never take the first plant you see, and you mm-hmm. never take the last plant that you see, and you never take what we call in herbal, in herbal medicine, the mother plant. Mm-hmm. And so if you see one that's like, and usually they stand out like the biggest, the strongest, the health, you know, you yeah. want to, you obviously want to gather healthy medicine, but usually we'll leave the mother plant yeah. alone so that they can. The genetics can go, go on and propagate. Yeah. It's like in the forests, you know, lumber companies will high grade, they'll take the best trees. And so the genetics of just the trees that they didn't want are hanging out and Yeah. Same with deer. Everybody wants deer that have, you know, the bucks with the most points. Yeah. But they are the ones that are, you know, propagating the deer culture. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then just to, you know, just to touch back on social permaculture, Mm -hmm. I do feel like 
from like Booby McNamara and that that whole crew. I'm trying to think of the it's the women's permaculture. Can't remember of the I don't know if it's guild. I don't think it's guild, but I'll see if I can put a link. Mm -hmm. um, they have a whole social permaculture certificate that you can get. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they said, and my experience has been that you've got all these great ideas with permaculture and great practices with permaculture, and they all work, but what falls apart is the people because they can't yeah. get along because there's no conflict resolution. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really have a, those skills um, naturally ingrained in us. This is a very, and we see it um, illustrated actually with this pandemic. This is a very, um, it would be interesting because how many other cultures, wh where are the cultures where permaculture doesn't necessarily need that kind of, so much of that social aspect, you know? I would imagine there might be some cultures that are less individualistic Less For kind sure. of, yeah. I know. mean, less and less. I, there were at least. Yeah, maybe in uh, the African countries or something like that. Well, or I mean, right here in New York State, the Haudenosaunee had a beautiful system of. Um, oh yeah, I, yo yo no traditional yeah. traditional cultures and their ability to to do that. yeah absolutely. But I was thinking, thinking more, more modern. Just yeah, more modern. Like just permaculture in general, like who is practicing permaculture that doesn't necessarily need that reminder that we have to get along, whether we like it or not. Well, you know, I, I in, definitely not in the United States. I would yeah. say more in the traditional cultures of Europe. And of course, I'm thinking myself of Southern Italy. Yeah, the more commun communal they're more cultures. yeah you know and you saw that in this pandemic with their their response there and in conversations i had with friends and family there of you know pretty much not the dissonance that we've seen here with people you know maybe they weren't happy about it or maybe some people even didn't agree but still they were all the message that i heard was well we have to do this because we have to do this for our elders we have to do this for yeah. each other so um there's definitely i feel like more united collective uh -huh. conscious yeah than, than this is such an individualistic country this these fall the myth of individualism is it's kind of like nested within the myth of american exceptionalism right like right um, and i think and so i've seen it what i i notice it more when i've gone out of the country than in other countries gotten a sense of that and then come back and then realized how divided and I don't, I don't necessarily think that the division, the, the diversity is a problem. It's that there's no mechanism. Totally. There's no system or the systems that have maybe worked up until now are, are really falling apart. And I think we're seeing that in this pandemic, which, you know, maybe that's a, this is a good time to sort of talk about what is going on at your center. I know you guys have online 
your yeah online courses yeah you want to talk a little bit about sure. sort of like your courses and then also like just at, from a permaculture perspective what you're doing what you're seeing what you're thinking yeah well we'd like to say that we've been preparing for this you yeah. know we've been preparing exactly for this and we're not preppers but in in the sense of like trying to get our bunker and our guns and all of our food that we'll need and keep everybody away. Like we've been preparing for this and that we've been storing water and we've been building gardens and we've been planting perennial trees and we've perennial nut bearing trees and fruit trees. And we've also been teaching a lot of people those skills as well so that they understand how to, how to secure just the basics for a good life, you know, gets very simple and th that could be a blessing that's happening right now for people to understand how how simple life how simple our needs are you know on this on this planet we get very involved in all of these other ideas about what we need and what we want and but yeah clean water is probably top on the list as, along with like yeah. good shelter and and food and all of that. But um, we had been teaching in the city at the place that we met, uh, mm -hmm. the Commons mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, and that was um, interrupted with this pandemic. We decided that we would go along with everybody else, we'd go online mm. and do finish the rest of the course on Zoom. Mm. And we've always been a little bit, you know, you're not sure how it's gonna translate. Uh, yeah. It's It was very, we had to do it though, like everybody else. And so we, we did it and the, the the result was that the students felt great about the course and that really is all that we need to know mm -hmm. people felt that they learned something they felt connected they looked forward to it um and it give gave them you know this is what people want to learn right now we've we've got a, a bit of a demand for our services yeah um, for gardens for uh, water systems for whole site designs. So there are people coming up into the area, maybe who had property here or mm -hmm. looking for property. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. <laughs> really. So, so your, your course is in progress right now. Is that it's right? in progress right now. We are going to have the second weekend, um, this next weekend. And we are, you know, if anybody wants to take the course, we welcome people to jump in. You do the price, um, but it, you can find it on our website. I'll put a link to newyork.com. Yeah, put a link. It's just, it feels very empowering uh, to be at this moment. And I feel in some ways I have taught aspects of this course, you know, I've always taught like soil science or botany, uh, herbalism, you know, nutrition, gardening, biodynamics, things like that. But the, just the aspect of like running for office and having to talk to people and like cohesively piece together my ideas into speeches and to communications with people all the time, it really made me uh, step into my voice a lot more. Mm. And, um, and that's actually been probably the biggest blessing. So I feel comfortable talking in front of people. I don't have to be behind drums to be in front of a, yeah, in front of an audience. <laughs> I can actually talk to people and not like stutter or get nervous or whatever happens to me, you know? 
So that that's been really great. And uh and having this ability, having so much to share, you know, I don't know if you felt like this, but I'm sure you have, where you're like, I have to talk to these people about this. What am I gonna say? It's this long. I need to talk for a couple hours about this. And then for people, for newbies, like people need to learn so much, just like so much information. I, I find like I, oftentimes I can't cover everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I, I know when I first started teaching, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know what to say or anything. And then, <laughs> it, but you know, and I used to over-prepare and, <laughs> and then never be able to get through yeah. the material. <laughs> and, you know, I've kind of come almost full circle at this point where I hardly prepare. <laughs> there are things all, like that, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and actually a friend had said to me years ago, I was nervous about teaching a class or whatever. And um, he said, couldn't you talk about plants like all day long? And I was like, he's like, don't you already do that? Like pretty much every day. And I was like, yeah. And I realized I could, that I was talking about things that I loved yeah. and that I was living. Yeah. And I think when you're doing that, I mean, I do think it's important, like, especially when you've got a, you know, you've got, and there's a skill and a practice in that when you've got students who are really new and they really do need to get some like, you know, sort of cohesive information that, that, you know, that you, pre that you prepare, yeah, that you prepare or give at least, yeah. at least I have a handout. So if I don't get to yeah. it, I'll have something, but I find like when I do prepare and when I do all of that, I, you know, just like the process of conversation or reading anything or do you just learn more. You're like, right. Open up doors and. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah you're like, definitely. Oh, Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah. So you guys, so that's in progress. People can jump in right now. They can jump in. Um, we have talked about doing some other courses as well. We haven't put anything else up. Uh, we won't put anything else up probably in, until this is done, but I don't know, maybe we'll do some other things. Just check our website and there's, you can subscribe to our website as well. So what do you feel like from a permaculture perspective, what would permaculture say about this pandemic or any pandemic? Because we sort of know that this is just one event and that yeah. we know that, that the world is with all of the compounding variables, regardless of where we think this came from, which we, you and I discussed before we even started recording that viruses, we know viruses do this. This is not new for, this is yeah. not new for viruses, but regardless, even if you're going with the Wuhan lab or in, in, in yeah. whatever the solutions are all the same. The solutions are all the same. The solutions right. are all the same. One, the solutions are two. Either way, it's a direct result of human behavior. So it's a yeah. direct result of, of imbalance. Some damage over you know, deforestation, 
um, people living in, you know, people having damaged and diseased immune systems. Uh, there's a, a separation from the natural world in, in the sense that we know that we're connected to it and we know that we depend on it for life. You know, there's a real separation and there's a lot of opportunities that this pandemic brings uh, on, on so many levels. One is that we see that we're vastly underprepared mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, I think of a friend of mine who was buying gold constantly and I was like, why, why don't you just buy some land, man? And right. you have to grow <laughs> some food. Why are, don't you realize that gold is like completely contaminating the earth? It's completely like this contributing to systems of oppression that are exacerbating the issues, why mm -hmm. you are buying gold, mm. you know, it's just such a frustrating thing. But, you know, he was like, well, I know that if I have this, I can, you know, give it to somebody and they'll, so it's like the fear-based, right? So I can protect myself and my wife and our chihuahuas or whatever. And, um, and, and really like, who's going to protect you now in a pandemic? Who, who are you going to give that to, to take you out? You know, right? Like, okay, if you have a, you know, obviously it's not that, it's not that bad where people are shut down and can't leave the country or anything like that, right? But, but yeah, it just kind of lets us see the cracks, the gaping holes, if you will. And, you know, of course, I'm not even going to touch on the fact that this administration is so corrupt, so bereft of compassion so bereft of a vision other than complete and utter money-grubbing corruption, cronyism, and, you know, some kind of debauched standard of life on earth. That said, <laughs> mm. um, the, the holes were, were there. Um, the previous administrations had talked about, you know, pandemic preparation. Of course, that all got dismantled, as we know. But that aside, we still don't have food shed we still, we still are importing our food from halfway around the globe. We right. still have communities that are depending on water systems and water, like either aquifers or um, outdated systems that are, you know, there's people who have polluted water. How are they going right. to, you know, how are we going to even deal with hygiene? So America is so broken right now that, um, you know, we've been, we've been yelling about this stuff for a long time. I That's one of the things I, I know that they, a lot. It's one of the reasons why I ran for office is just so I could talk about this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. just so I could, you know, I knew that I probably wasn't going to win, but it's going to, somebody going to hear me talking, talking about resiliency and what true right. resiliency means right. that it doesn't mean money in the bank, right. that it means, you know, stable food systems, that it means um, stable local economies, you know, that it means backing up our water systems. And I feel like, so one of, you know, some of the conversations I've been in are, oh, the stress of this pandemic. And I definitely acknowledge that, that, you know, it's oh, like God. there's, you know, that there's, but then at the same time, I've seen something else happening, which is that people are, they're, they, their home, which some people aren't able to stay home, but many people are have to stay. We have to stay yeah. home. 
and we're realizing our disconnect, I feel like in that, in one way. And also we're, we're actually now we're like, we're, we're, we're rebuilding it and we're looking yeah. at, you know, all the things I know we, we've kind of been the same way, kind of planning for this <laughs> for, for my, in my own work as an herbalist. And then, yeah. um, here at my, in, in my family, you know, we've always kind of had that in mind. And our, our work has always been kind of this idea of minimizing and mm -hmm. scaling down, yeah. having less outgoing, yeah. you know, yeah. not trying to get any bigger, which that's really hard because all of the social pressure yes. says you want to get bigger and make more money and, you know, hit, hit. <clears throat> and there's more security in that in that framework, right? We don't, if we intentionally stay small, like we do here, then we are on, you know, government healthcare and we're kind of, we're kind of. You have less access to resources. We have less, less access to resources of those kind. There's less money in the bank. There's less, you know, what is a retirement fund? You know, all of those kinds of things that other people are building towards and working towards and, and like, you know, respect. I like, I, I get it. I understand. Oh, it. me too. Right. It's not that <laughs> it's just at the, you know, our, we, it's hard not to do that. And so part of, I feel like our, our permaculture has been, okay, how can we, how can we minimize expenses, live less, reduce our consumption, yeah. I mean, that's just that, just, just that's like food. That's life changing. It's life changing, <laughs> you know? And I think when the, when the pandemic happened and there was, there was like, when it first started happening, there was these like a couple weeks where it was like, oh wow, like everything is falling apart, which, you yeah. know, like it seemed like there could potentially be this total collapse. Like, you know, they were yeah. saying there might not be food in the grocery store, supply chains. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and I don't, but this is done. I mean, this is, we just started. Yeah. This, right. Like this yeah. is, we don't know where this is going. Um, and, and the lack of response of our so-called leaders, whatever you yeah. want to call it, whatever, whatever you want to call them, the lack of response. But I mean, the, one of the first things we thought about was water, which we've always thought about preparing did you say did you say preparing yeah Water? preparing well so we you know we've always thought about that and we often thought about moving because mm -hmm. we live in an area that has an access, it has a lack of access to resources we yeah. live in the adirondack foothills i know you've been here yeah you know it's a poor post-industrial it's like getting to the grocery store you go you know yeah. a half hour drive and then you know yeah we've never had a lot of stuff in our grocery store <laughs> i mean that's the other thing yeah We've always been like, you know, I think they wait, they leave all the stuff in the back of the truck and then they drop it off in the Mohawk Valley after they've been everywhere else. But um, part of why we stayed here is for one, because it's so inexpensive. Yeah. Land is really inexpensive. And because it's post-industrial, then, you know, 50 years of factories up and left. Yeah. Which is always seen as like, you know, it's this unprogressive, oh, depressed. It's a depressed yeah, area. Yeah, depressed area. And, but the land has recovered so yeah. beautifully here. 
Yeah. You know, and, and there's still, you know, the pollution's going to last forever. Who knows how long, but yeah. relatively, you know, like they just tested our, the West Canada Creek here every now and then they go through and test and it's always above, I mean, above which the is standards. above the standards. Uh huh. And then the, the trip, some of the tributaries are really clean. Like there's awesome. Um, so, you know, we have agriculture here, which is a problem, but even then, like the, the you know, a lot of the, the farms have gone out, which I'm not mm-hmm. saying is a good thing, but I'm saying it does cut down on the agricultural. Wouldn't it be nice if the farms and, um, and, and like worry about contamination were not like linked? Like exactly. how, how crazy that you even have to qualify that, right? Yeah. It's bananas. And that is one of the biggest contributors, if not the biggest contributor to climate change and contamination and the continued global hegemony of chemical corporations. And it's, it's in, in, in the way that we get to the other side of this and the way that we have more resiliency is smaller farms. All those are commodity crops. How much of that stuff stays and even feeds animals? You know, it doesn't, it goes overseas or, you know, CAFO feedlots, that's not, we shouldn't be doing that. That shouldn't be allowed, you know? And we are, so here, our monocrops, our GMO crops, the corn, the corn is feeding the cows. Yeah. The farmers here, which I'm always in dialogue with about. Yeah. Right. Um, they're spraying or they're what spraying they're doing. or what yeah. they're doing with the town and whatnot. Um, so that's how I know that they, it's directly going back to, um, and then what, one of the things that happened, and we don't have any CAFOs. Yeah. Not, there might be one about 20 miles away, the nearest one might be 20, 30 miles away. We don't, yeah. Otherwise we don't have any CAFOs. So we're fortunate, it's still yeah. here, but we're fortunate. So what would you say, in terms is the one thing in terms of water security what would you say that if somebody I would say back it up get 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 water get a get a rainwater tank for your house or mm-hmm. if you have a barn or or even build you could even build just a simple shed that doesn't even have any you know walls or anything like that any siding and get a rainwater tank and mm-hmm. collect rainwater mm-hmm. and um, you'll need a filter for it but if you do not have, if your power goes out, then your well pump goes out. And if your well pump goes out, you're not able to get water out of your faucet. And if you don't have any springs around, can't get any water like in that way that you know it's from a clean, reputable source, then the other option is to collect water from a pond or uh, a stream and you're gonna need a good filter. So I would say getting a good filter, preparing for that, because something like water, you want to have backed up in several different ways, mm. you know? Mm. So you have your well, you have a pond and you have a rain tank, you yeah. know, that's three. That's pretty good. Yeah. So we have the other thing we um, don't do not have yet. We have our pond. We got our water filter mm-hmm. and we have our well and we are getting a, you can get a hydraulic deep well. Mm-hmm. pump oh yeah that will work yes manual without manual that will work for a deep well so like 40 so 
40 feet. And that more. attaches to the well head? The well cap. Yeah, that's rad. Yeah, that's so. Great. So, you know, and then long term, that could break. You might need parts or whatever. So we were thinking sure. we'll get two of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then you've got a, you've got a backup. Backup. Yeah, that's so smart. We live, that pond that you have is pretty amazing. It's spring fed. So, it's spring you know, fed and it refreshes, right? It refreshes, so it's, yeah. And it has an, I didn't see the outflow. It has an outflow that yeah. goes. And it's pretty, is it pretty consistent flowing out? Yeah. I mean, you know, more in the spring, it gets low in like, depending on the year, it'll yeah, get sure. low in August, but it's never gone. You know, it's like eight foot and it might get down in the, in the middle. We have, I think it's eight feet and then it might get down to, to like four or five feet in the middle yeah. in the summer, but that's not too bad. We know we have more springs and back that we could. Yeah. So, you know, but we'd have to get that we'd have to move, get some way to get them flowing down into, yeah. the, into the pond. Maybe, maybe, yeah, that sounds fun. So you do dig where they are and then pipe them down. Right. Yep. Just dig. Yep. It's finding them. Yeah. There's so much water back there that you think. Andrew loves it. that. We're coming up. We're yeah. coming up to find them. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys do consults, right? That's yep. another thing that you guys do. And you do water, um, food, um, right? Yeah, basically full service. So everything from helping you find property, uh, we work with people's goals and dreams. Mm -hmm. And then we add our knowledge set and research to that to help fully flesh out an articulated uh, design for people. And so that can come and we kind of scale it as well to how simple or sophisticated do people want it? Do they just mm -hmm. want a report? They want us to walk the land and give them a report or do they want, um, do they want uh, us to do installations? Do they want a full site plan that includes maps and drawings, which I do, I do all the mapping. So it really helps people meet people where they are. Mm. And the fact that we can offer a lot of these skills, whether it be natural building, we have a natural building little crew here that does straw bale and mm -hmm. natural earthen plasters and mm. slab on grade. We, we're orienting to the sun and trying to capture solar gain so that it really lessens people's energy bills, whether they're paying that bill by harvesting wood mm. or whether it is that they're on some other kind of system. So usually we're trying to make houses that are insulated enough that heating it becomes, right. you're not having to do much to heat it. It's yeah. not like the houses that we, in, we, we live in, which is, you know, two by four frames. Yeah. <laughs> 1950s when yeah. gas was like 10 cents a gallon or something. Yeah. So. yeah. Although those can be really well insulated and yeah. 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 So so we do offer that. I also offer, you know, I can work with people and garden with them, teach them gardening. I can do yeah. a plan. I could tell people what to grow, you know, so I'm working. So what, what, do, what do we grow right now? So what, what right we, now it's what, cold season crops and God, it just snowed the other day, yesterday. I know, I did, I know. Did you see that the snow was like this? Yeah, it was. It's crazy. Pretty. I was trying to be optimistic. I was trying to be like, oh, it's so, I usually love the snow. Uh, right now, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> that's worrisome, right? Because it's 
it's just more kind of climate uncertainty. I find, I find like as I get older, I just a little bit more anxiety about things like that. But, yeah. but right now it's cold season crops, lettuce, um, spring onions, radishes. Radishes mm. are something that everybody can plant and they come on really fast. Uh, days to maturity are like 40 days for some of them. French breakfast radishes are one of my favorites. There's also the Japanese turnips, the white turnips, mm. globe turnips. Um, but if you don't already have your seed right now, you're going to have to talk to some friends. I encourage Yeah, that's a big to, problem. It is a big problem. I encourage, seeds. yeah, all the seed houses are out. I wonder how many people are going to waste those seeds too. They're just going to not do anything. I hope everybody's growing though. <laughs> So your suggestion is, I think that's a good one, is to talk to friends and find talk out. Friends, and then um, there's the Seed Savers Exchange that you can go to and you can learn about how to create a seed library in your area. It's super important. This is our, you know, our local seed genetics. The more that seeds are collected and um, you have to learn about that too. Seed saving is that you just don't collect seeds from yeah, plants. Yeah, right. It's going to come true to type. Yeah. You have to understand. But it's kind of fun for some of us who enjoy that kind of nerdy, you know, nerdy aspect of tending plants. Mm. Um, but we can save seeds from plants and we can create seed libraries in our communities. And the seeds that we save in our local biomes will be more suited. Right for our local biomes. Right. So, right. and you know, organizing humans, I think at this point in time is where we sometimes really fall short. Um, but there are so many organizations of humans, whether it be a knitting circle or a seed savers library organization in a community or what have you, it is ways that humans are working together around a common goal and that can be extrapolated to do all kinds of other things that we are going to, going to need to be doing. And right now there's a lot of mutual aid networks that are popping up, mm. um, which is an ancient, not ancient, but uh, you know, it's actually, I think, uh, from a, either an anarchist or a communist. I can't remember the guy's name that kind of came up with this whole idea of mutual aid networks. Mm. Um, but those are something that a lot of people are really grasping onto because we know and this is totally permaculture. And this is what we've taught is like, we can't wait for the government to do this. If the government was in our wildest ideals of what a government should be doing, taking care of the people, then there would be theoretically less work for us to do. But it's not happening like that. And we need to not hold back our vision of what we believe is possible and what we believe we deserve and what we believe future generations deserve. We need to kind of create that vision and then we need to articulate it and build it. And so creating those systems by which we can start to articulate these resiliency patterns, these um, systems of, you know, I get concerned about people moving up into this area mm. already. You know, you have locals here who like hate nature you know, they, they like mow everything down and just put a flagpole up. I know you know the type. Yeah. <laughs> like sprayed and like flat and like no, and asphalt. But I worry about the heavy handedness of development and everybody. Not a lot of people come to an area like this and think, well, I'm going to, I'm going to revitalize that old lot over there. Or I'm right. going to, 
do this or um, they want to cut down trees and they want to build their little house. And so the other thing is that like, I know here people, even people who have those ideas. Yeah. When they actually start trying to do that, they leave. I mean, like, they, you this know, is too hard. Well, you know, it, I mean, it's like you don't just walk out of the suburbs. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we can help the, with that. We can help with sighting. Right. That's why, exactly. It's like, we can help you how, where a road should be cut. We can tell you which mm -hmm. trees need to get saved, um, all of that kind of stuff. Super important. And, and I, you know, I wish that we could really know that our municipalities were paying attention to greenways and, and we, we need to be thinking of um, more humane density planning for cities mm. with access to nature. Mm. And we need to be thinking of more wild maintaining aspects of making sure that there's contiguous areas for nature to continue to do its thing and it's not like it's hands off you know like we want to go in there and we want to harvest things and we want to plant things and we want to garden like humans have gardened this continent and this planet for forever you know so that's another thing that people really don't understand like it's like the same thing like when you tell them to cut trees around their house they think that we're supposed to be tree hugging and not cutting the white pines that are shading mm out your house and making, you know, moss grow on your roof and whatnot. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of bring people into this idea of, um, of how to manage that we actually have a positive impact. It's not like less bad, it's more good. What kind of, what kind of impact are you going to have? And people don't have those skills and they don't have that knowledge. That's what I mean. So it's like people come up, you know, especially here, even more so than the Hudson Valley, you come up here to the Adirondacks and yeah. it's even more remote and in the, you know, yeah. and that's like you, you start, you do gr try to grow some lettuce and it all gets eaten by, you know, or whatever. Choose your, choose your fighter. You know, <laughs> I know. And so it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not innate. I mean, I think a part of it yeah. is innate, but then I think the actual, you know, I think there it requires that we really, we learn. Yeah. That. And it's region specific. Am I right? Yeah, like it really sure. is region specific. And if we had actually, you know, we have Cornell cooperative exchanges, right. In mm -hmm. each County. And if you think about it, like they're kind of bought and sold, like they do a lot of good stuff, but they're also super heavy into the chemical corporations. Yeah. Right. And um, I was at a meeting for, um, up at the legislature a couple months ago, Climate Smart com Communities. And uh, I asked if part of the um, manifesto was, our mission statement rather, was um, to go all organic. Can't we say that mm. Ulster County wants to go 100% organic by mm. you know this time? Mm. And the Cornell guy just, he was like, it's impossible. Grapes can't grow without spray, you know? I, I, it's so funny to hear, you know, I hear that and I'm not a, I'm a small home gardener yeah. and I'm a, um, I'm a wild, I'm a wild gatherer. So I don't know the ins and outs, but I know when I go up 
in the hills here that there are trees in the fall full of apples and they're good yeah. right like they're oh. full of and and i look around sometimes I no mean, scab just, no like no, yeah no, they're no, i mean they're not all perfect or whatever but, yeah. but like like and i think why where is everybody why is everybody at this grocery store buying yeah, apples yeah. like why do we think we have wild grapes here yeah yeah, it's the, the whole idea of making wine. And, you know, it's kind of the whole idea of like really strong arming the biome into making it produce what you want it to produce. And that's and, it. It's, it's the, it, it, with it, a monoculture. With a monoculture. So it's like you've got, yeah, if I wanted, you know, so if you have nothing but particular species of apples or maybe even two or three different species of apples and you've got hundreds and hundreds of them and nothing else. Yeah. And it's less, less humans also so it's more you know machines spraying whatever so there is this sense of farming that is very divorced from the what we know to what we know that needs to happen which is a kinder gentler impact a kinder gentler impact on on the earth you know we can't continue to like spray everything certainly there's better ideas you know, certainly there's a better way and there is, but we might not have wine from our region. That person might not be able to have a vineyard. They might have to do something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there is this idea that we should just be able to do it and make it happen. And sometimes those kinds of, those kinds of fruits and vegetables might not grow so well here. And I think that that, so, 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 and we touched this a little bit, but I think that one of the things with this pandemic is we are realizing our limitations yeah and realizing what we actually need I hope in so. terms of each in terms of, of of what we need the relationships that we need to be in with each other and with place and in some ways i feel with the stay at home and not people not being able to travel and and we're really getting to feel what it's like to be together in a way that we haven't in a very long time. Mm -hmm. Explain that. How do you mean? Well, families are home together. Oh, like that. Yeah. And communities are, are home together. There's more yeah. people and um, we have a basically an abandoned, what was the old railroad track track, it, mm -hmm. which they pulled up a long time ago, pulled up the, and it's just become this trail. And it leads on to like some of the other trails and the snowmobile trail up in the hills and stuff. And most of the time I'm the only one there, right. On a, yeah. uh, on a regular basis, there's never anybody. Now I'm like <laughs> the highway. <laughs> there's so many. And I was, in some ways I'm annoyed, you know, I'm like, wait, what, you know, where, what the, the kids are home. The ki there's kids, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm seeing people and seeing neighbors down there, you know, we're, social distance yeah. but we're talking sure. you know they were, they were yeah. like did you see the eagle's nest or have you seen yeah, the blood blood? you know what i mean and yeah and, and i actually had a conversation with a guy about the wild leeks i told him they're endangered no you can't just go he goes oh because i had no idea he said i saw him there and i said yeah you can't you know you only pick one leaf and yeah um people are you know friends of ours who's who were dragging their kids to, to daycare every day yeah are 
are, and then families are forming kind of these like social cohorts, right? Like we, yeah. we kind of did it here where it's like, you know, cause like I've got my parents and, yeah. and, and my daughter was here for a while. Now she's back in her apartment, but where we're, you know, we're kind of um, isolating together. Together. So that, yeah. um and so there's kind of been i just know locally are some extended families now that are like kind of on a daily basis yeah you know each other letting the kids hang out letting the kids hang out (laughs) while mom's working on like zoom doing her you know people are working at home and stuff and um so that's what i mean that it's just like we really are um and then and then working together in our community for resources like our local it's like a antique store, but they also sell food. Well, they can't sell the antiques, but they still have the food. And so they're coming up with different ways to like, you know, curbside pickups and right. different local farms with like goat's milk and um, local beef and stuff are finding ways to connect with people. And, and so we got a, our friend dropped off a delivery of some beef, some lumber that he did. And then I left him a jar, uh, a bottle of lung tonic uh-huh. you know, Great. And, and, and a check. And, and so, yeah, you know, I feel like in so many ways, I feel like it's sort of been a stress relief. It's been mm-hmm. for, for people who, for people who can, uh, can have that stress relief. I'm, think of mostly in the city, you know, and probably, you know, there's a lot of people here who are hungry as well. There's people are kind of right. feeding a ton of people. Yeah. Um, this area was or, always what they call food insecure, really. It's just yeah. starvation, hunger, you know? So. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I mean, I know that's big. But yeah. no, that both coexist. Yeah. And that we can, try and help each other through this time, but that there is this necessity of people, whoever they are, getting that break and understanding what's been going on, maybe, maybe having a little perspective. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to, I think we have a long haul. And I think that this is, this is, it is a revelation. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, whatever ends up happening with this virus, which remains to be seen, you know, whether we're going to be, how long we're going to be dealing with this for. Yeah. I mean, any, any, any word on whether it's, you know, there's immunity yet? When are we going to do that? that, Yeah. uh, Again, you know, where, what's the best news source, but you know, looking at from what I can, what I've gathered between um, the news sources that I trust and the um, the experts, both in the herbal community and in the medical medical mm-hmm. community that I that I trust, there's going to be immunity. Yeah. Whether you Other know coronaviruses have. Yeah. You know, I think probably it's not going to be lifelong. That's, I think what they're saying is they're guessing that it's going to be, you know, maybe a couple years, maybe more, maybe more, yeah. but, but so the thing is, even if, even if it's only a couple years, once you've already had it, even yeah. if that immunity wanes, it's going to be different for every person. Even if the immunity wanes, 
it's not going to be new. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, you have the flu and every year there's a different flu strain, but you've already had the flu. So there's some similarity. So, and, and I think they're also going to figure out, I mean, there probably will be, they'll come, likely come up with a vaccine. Are there vaccines for any other coronaviruses? No, there weren't. That, no, there aren't. And that's, but part, part of that is because they, they weren't so bad. They weren't, they weren't trying to find one. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they capped SARS, they capped MERS, they were yeah. able to, to stop them. And the other coronaviruses yeah. were not that severe. So like the cold, common right, cold, right? Right. The common cold. And so there wasn't any, so in order for a vaccine yeah. to happen, there's got to be yeah, that's a good point. somebody who's going to make some money from yeah. developing one. Yeah. Because otherwise nobody's going to put money into the development of a vaccine when they can put money into the development of other things that they're going to yeah. make. So, so now they probably, there, there probably will be a vaccine and I'm not anti-vaxxed or, you know, everybody says, do you believe in vaccines? Like, I don't know if it's a matter of belief, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't support mandatory vaccination. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah, would I, no would I, would I get a vaccine? Like if I want, you know, like I, I was supposed to be going to Italy tomorrow. Would I get a get Would I get a vaccine if I if I mean, am I going to spend the rest of my life and and not go not go anywhere? Yeah. You know, if if it was, I don't know. I'm, I can't make that decision now. But yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. And thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm going to um, play some music from your latest release, which can you tell us the name of the band and the album that you're drumming on? Well, the name of the band is, it's my friend Chris Forrest's band and, um, and Erica Blitz, Erica Stoltz. And the founding it, man? The Bounding Maine. The Bounding Maine. Okay. The yeah, bounding The Bounding Maine. And they are, um, they are friends. Erica, I just actually recently met. She lives right, she has a, a cabin over here um, in the woods over the way. And, but Chris, I've known for years. Uh, we played in bands, toured around, um, you know, around the same time. So we've been friends for a long time and they invited me to play drums and it was a wonderful thing, but they've been doing this band for a while. And so it was a really- So, and the album is Shelter. Shelter, yeah. And that picture is the cabin that we recorded all this stuff in. Oh, and then wow. Chris also does some really, I'll send them too. She does some really beautiful different soundscapes, kind of dark, dark stuff. It's a, very nice. Well, beautiful. So I'm going to play a song from them at the end. Thank you, Adriana. Okay. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Wild Under Root podcast. All of the links from today's show, as well as past episodes, can be found at therootcircle.com. The Root Circle is a center for plant medicine and folk magic, where you can find my blog, videos, as well as our shop and a list of upcoming events, all focused around plants as tools for cultural and community resilience. 
This is a one-woman production, and if you enjoyed it, please consider making a donation to its continued production as well as our wish list of recording equipment upgrades. The music that we played in the intro is by Old Lang Syne, who are our friends and members of our local community, now located in Brisbee, Arizona. Please check out their link in our show notes. And at the end of this episode, we are playing a song from Adriana's latest musical endeavor with the band The Bounding Main. The song is called Slave Ship Earth on the album Shelter. The link for their Bandcamp page is now is in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah.